0: FBI radio. This week we're going to look at the right to protest in Sydney because there's been some um, interesting things that have come about that we may we may not know about. Yep. So Kurt's done the digging.
1: Done the digging. And he's he's
0: come in with his with his findings today.
1: Yeah, and look it's because I guess a lot of the things that we've talked about on this segment around sustainability and fairness in cities over the last few months and even longer the need for us as the urban citizens, to get ourselves organised and to, you know, do stuff for ourselves just keeps coming up. And sometimes getting ourselves organised also means getting loud uh, and making a fuss about stuff that we don't like.
0: And sometimes, unfortunately, it means you can get yourself arrested. You can get yourself in trouble for doing these things.
1: Well, you can. Uh, And actually, the, the stuff about the right to protest, it just actually... It's getting worse and worse. It's getting more hectic, really, in New South Wales. Over the last decade or so, we've seen a whole series of kind of creeping encroachments into our sort of rights to have effective protests in public space. So I figured that'd be something we could get into, yeah.
0: And that, on the flip side of that, is there are more and more concerns that people may want to protest about.
1: Well, yeah. So it becomes a kind of a vicious or a virtuous cycle, depending on how we... um, act in this space, I suppose, doesn't it? But that's it. But it's sort of, it's like a timely chat this week because just a few days ago in New South Wales, the last sort of set of restrictions on protests that have uh, have just come into effect through the uh, a new regulation, the Crown Land mm. Management Regulation.
0: And I know nothing about this. No,
1: no. Well, it's understandable. You might not be following the latest developments in Crown Land Regulations. <laughs>
0: that's why I've got uh, you, And Kat. most of us probably aren't, but that's
1: exactly the point, right? That these things get sort of through the parliament, seemingly innocuous little uh, regulations like this, but they turn out to have pretty big consequences for our political rights. And this is one that gives authorities all sorts of sweeping powers to ban or disperse all manner of public assemblies, including protests, uh, and even, you know, prohibiting political activities like leafleting on Crown land.
0: Well, how about before we get into some of the... um you know the nuts and bolts. We have a chat about protesting more broadly. Mm-hmm. So we live in a society where our right to protest we kind of accept as as an important part of democracy and yeah. citizenship. So, I always assume it would just go hand in hand.
1: Yeah, and look, the thing is that we do live in a society, and we're lucky to because lots of people don't around the world. But there's a kind of consensus on one level that in a democratic society like ours, we all should have a right to protest. So on one hand, you say, yes, there's consensus on that. But uh, actually, there's uh, on the other hand, things are never quite so simple. And so the line about what is legitimate or illegitimate protest, or even what's lawful or unlawful protest, that line and where we draw it is the thing that we do disagree about, that there are arguments all the time about, like, you sure, you have a right to protest, but what does that actually look like? Yeah, right. And so, you know, even if you start with our constitution, there's not some explicit right to political protest and, you know, public assembly that's built into that constitution. There's kind of implied rights in the common law um, around... Public assembly and sort of political communication. So, what do you mean by implied rights? Well, it means that when uh, the High Court, for example, interprets the Constitution, they will say, "Well, look, there is some stuff in there about political communication, and we think that takes into account people's right to protest." So, so it's a, a grey area. Yeah, so it's still always been a bit of a grey area. And like, even if you look then underneath the constitutional rights that we might have. Just the basic sort of criminal law and crown land law and stuff that operates at both the state and even the local government level all impinges on what we can do in public spaces. And that includes what kinds of protests we might want to have.
0: And look, I... I don't know much about law. I find law language really difficult to interpret. So just by nature of what you've been saying, that kind of stuff is hard for the average person to access, to know where their rights are. Yep,
1: yep. Uh, And it's especially tricky because, as you say, knowing... You know, which bits of legislation that you're supposed to be looking at to actually understand what your rights are. um that end of it is really tricky, but it gets even trickier when we think that you know the kinds of things that we do when we protest, it's not just like there's one thing that protest looks like right. Yeah, tell um,
0: me about some of the protests that you've seen. yeah, on campus, well, that's it. Forms. I mean,
1: even if you just think about stuff that you know we might do uh, on campus as a kind of example that you could then um you know extend out into the city more generally. But sometimes, you know, um, we have marches through campus that end up at some symbolic space, like outside the Vice-Chancellor's office, Mm. uh, if we're cranky about something. Sometimes we might go to some obscure part of campus where there's a Senate meeting happening and because that's where a decision's about to be made. You know, there was a rally outside the Senate last week. Um, Sometimes we're setting up picket lines at the entrances to campus trying to keep people off if we're on strike about a particular issue, um, you know year or so ago, students occupied the administration building of the College of the Arts in protest against its closure out there at Roselle. They locked
0: themselves in there. They did,
1: yeah. Yeah. So if you think about it, you know, protest generally can be anything like that. It can be tens of thousands of people at the domain listening to speeches for a couple of hours. It can be Occupy style where people are out for, you know, a smaller group of people for a few months. It can be one or two people who've, you know infiltrated into some meeting and thrown a cream pie or a shoe at some politician, right? Yep. I mean, it, can be, it can be any of those things. And so um, it gets very tricky figuring out how all those different kinds of political action relate to all those different weird uh, and wonderful laws that sit there regulating what we do.
0: So Kurt, we're going to talk about what's been happening to our broad right to protest over the last uh, couple of years. So look, mm. have we been getting more restrictive Uh, about what constitutes uh, legitimate or lawful protest.
1: Yeah. So we are, it seems to me, and many others, getting a bit more restrictive over the last decade or so. And the most worrying thing is that what seems to keep happening recently is that as people kind of improvise new styles of protest and new forms of protest, um, then... These laws get passed to sort of block that, but the law then actually has all these flow-on consequences in blocking all sorts of other things that might happen as well. So, yeah.
0: So what are some examples of this? Well, I figured we could
1: break up our discussion um, of the different restrictions into three sort of areas. So there's increasingly big restrictions on space and time and activity in mm-hmm. relation to protests. So if we get into the first one, um, one of the ways that we see protests being restricted is laws and regulations that effectively say, well, yes, you have a right to protest, but not everywhere. We'll just be able to tell you where you can and where you can't do it, and that'll be up to us. So a kind of geographical restriction, which is, you know, I'm a geographer. This stuff is interesting to me. So um, a few years ago, I did a study on when we had the big APEC meeting, which is a kind of meeting of all the heads of government of the sort of Mm. Asia-Pacific countries that happened in Sydney in 2007. And when that Big meeting was happening, you know, prime ministers and presidents flying in from all over the place to come to Sydney. They just basically drew a big black line around the central business district and said, "Can't come here for the duration of these meetings." Passed a new law, the APEC Police Powers Bill, that basically gave police crazy amount of power to stop people coming into that area, to move them on if they didn't like the look of their jib, to search them without a warrant, to do all sorts of things uh, in that area. Right, so. Um, somebody actually challenged that law in the court and said, well, you're denying my implied right to protest with your laws. And Mm. the government argued and the court agreed that, well, we're not stopping you protesting. You can go and have a protest somewhere else. We're just stopping you protesting. Somewhere away from the limelight. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere away
0: from the cameras.
1: Exactly, right? Um, Which, when you think about it, on the one level is a kind of classic liberal response, which is, you've got the right, then you're sweet. But it effectively reduced... The impact that any protest targeted at APEC would have, of course, because it couldn't get anywhere near the actual meeting. And as you say, anywhere near the journalists and the cameras and the politicians that they were actually targeting.
0: One of my friends, who's a primary school teacher, was on that most wanted list of dangerous, dangerous, dangerous dangerous individuals and couldn't go near the city. Yeah. So they they even, as you say, they even
1: had a list that you have a friend who was on of people who you just can't even come into this part of the city when these meetings are happening.
0: That person's out there and they might be teaching your children (laughs) these radical ideas. (laughs) So watch out. Radicalizing. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. So that's like one... You know, yeah, one way that you restrict protests, right, which is just to sort of say where you can do it. And, like, this, it ends up with all these weird and wonderful things. So in America, for instance, where they do have a much stronger right to protest constitutionally, um, there were a bunch of court cases where people tried to have protests in places like shopping malls and airports and...
0: Oh, well, we've talked about that before. They're these funny public, private spaces. Yeah,
1: quasi-public spaces, Mm. right. And, you know the court said, well, you can't stop people having a protest. And so you can go to airports. I'm not making this up and shopping malls in the States where now the response to that has been to find an obscure little corner and set up a quote-unquote free speech zone where, if you want to have a protest, you have to go and stand in the corner, um, and you can have your protest. But if you leave the corner, then you can be booked for stepping away from the free wow. speech zone. And you know, it's same thing in our Parliament House in Canberra. Even right, there's a designated protest area that's like right across the road from the big public entrance. You can't get anywhere near the politicians' entrance is if that you're going the to have Ten a protest. Is? Tent Embassy is further down the hill from mm. um, that designated protest area. But yeah, it's kind of like, yes, you can protest, but you can't go on top of parliament. You can't go near the politician's centre You have and just to go to clarify, across the road.
0: We can't protest in our shopping malls. So that's a US thing.
1: Uh, so yeah, that was a US thing. So yeah, um, people, um, the, the shopping mall owners here have all sorts of rights to, uh, you know... Yes, stop us doing all sorts of things on their land because they're considered private land.
0: Well, we might, we might take a song here. Yeah. Um, this one, I, funnily enough, I guess you could a bit protest. It's called Boys Riot by a group out of <laughs> Perth that's from a 7-inch that they just put out. The band is called Cold Meat. When we come back, we're going to have more down-to-earth, more Professor Kurt Iverson, and more talk on restrictions to protest and what the broader implications of this for, you know, concerned mm-hmm. citizens like you and me. FBI radio 94.5, that's cold meat with boys riot. We haven't even gotten into riots. we're talking about peaceful oh. protesting. <laughs> no. And you're right to do it on Down to Earth today with Professor Kurt Iverson. We've been talking about uh, restricting the spaces where protests can take place, but there are other restrictions on protests that yeah. we also got to abide by.
1: So a second kind of set of restrictions that we're seeing getting tougher and tougher are about the time or the duration of a protest. So if we think back in Sydney again to the kind of kerfuffle we had back in 2013 about the eviction of the Occupy camp in Martin Place. That's right. Yeah. I mean, that's been a site of a couple of long-term protests, but one of them back in 2013 there's a camp that had been there for quite a while with tents and a camp kitchen. And that little, grew to
0: quite a sizable amount of yeah, people yep, gathering. yep.
1: Part of a kind of global, you know, network of protests around, um, you did know... Did that
0: begin... Did that stem from Occupy Wall Street? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: They put out a sort of global call for people to join them in, you know, protesting against the domination of politics and the economy by the 1% and uh, mm. lots of people in Sydney kind of, you know, answered that call. Now, the city of Sydney and the police kind of combined eventually to remove... Them um, and um, again, one of the protesters went to court and said, "Well, you've denied my right to protest by telling me that I can't stay." Um, and the city and the New South Wales government both argued in that case, similar kind of logic to the one in the APEC case, right? But different in a sense. It was about time. It's like, well, we haven't denied you a right to protest. You can you've come and hold up. A, yeah, you can come and hold up a sign in Martin Place anytime you like, but you just can't stay. Right? So you can come and make your point, but then you have to go home. And what you've done wrong here is that you haven't gone home. You've tried to stay. So the court found in their favour saying, well, yes, you know, um, the right to protest... It's just a right to sort of effectively make your point, but not to then, um, you know, occupy a place uh, for a long time. And again, the protesters in that case would say, well, the occupation was actually, in some ways, the, the key part of the point that we were making, right? That this space should be our space, that um, issues of, you know, mm. housing and homelessness are so hectic in Sydney because no, somewhere of... yeah, somewhere yep. else. So exactly, come and hold up a sign, hand out a leaflet, but then go home, you can't stay.
0: So, and a similar things happened since... That 2013 camp?
1: Yeah. Well, actually, there was, um, again, just in 2017, the kind of homeless camp that was sort of re-established by some of the same people that had been involved back in 2013, but many others. Um, And again, we saw the sort of state government and the city and the police combined to kind of get rid of them eventually. And in that particular case, they actually passed new legislation. Um, the kind of you know um, what was it called now the public reserves brackets public safety act that gave police a whole set of uh, extra powers to move people on in the name of public safety Um, and so literally that
0: sounds very
1: broad oh yeah super broad in fact so broad that it wasn't really defined it was just left to the police to say well um, you know if this seems to be potentially a hazard to public safety getting in somebody's way, then you can issue these move-on directions. Um, so and then
0: I imagine you could be arrested for refusing to cooperate. Exactly
1: right. And so that's the kind of creep, right? So Luke McNarar and Joe Quilter, who are in the law school out at UNSW, have been doing some great research about this, that those initial move-on powers that police have were always actually excluded protests. They were focused on, you know, if you, if the police have a reasonable suspicion you're about to engage in criminal activity, they can move you on. But they always had not included protest in that. But now, effectively, protest, if it's perceived by police to be potentially impactful on public safety, whatever that means, is now kind of included in those move-on powers. So, as you say, now, effectively means if the police don't like the look of what you're doing tell you to move on you refuse then suddenly now they've got grounds for arrest because you haven't moved on as directed by a police officer
0: so as the nature of protest changes laws are sort of quickly made to try and catch up and yeah dis- yeah Ex- disperse Squash, move on. Exactly. And so we've (laughs)
1: seen even more examples of that recently with the kind of passing of new legislation in 2016 as well that was just all about trying to prevent the kind of uh, protests around coal seam gas that were happening with the um, lock the gate movement. Uh, And again, the uh, kind of new enclosed lands act as well as uh, changes to the move on powers were um, enacted in that case. Um, And again, hugely sweeping sort of powers um, that really... We've talked talked about restricting the space of protest. Mm. We've talked about restricting the time. But what these things did is effectively now also really restrict the activities that protesters could engage in. And if there was going to be any disruption to any everyday activity or to a business as a consequence of a protest, now, again, police have the power to say, well, that's going to be disruptive, so we are issuing a move-on order. And if you don't move on... um, you know, well, you can what is be a protest
0: anyway, if not disruptive? Well,
1: what? exactly right. So, again, we've got this very restricted idea of a protest of just this kind of very polite thing where all you're ever going to do is just hold up a sign and try and convince somebody. But of course, as we've seen, sometimes protest is about disrupting. When we have picket lines in the union movement, we're about trying to disrupt a business. Um, when people lock themselves onto gates to try and stop um, coal seam gas exploration happening on a farm, uh, then they're trying to disrupt things. And, you know, I think if we're honest those of us who engage in those activities from time to time know that there's a risk of arrest involved and probably are happy to think that we're pushing the limits of the law because sometimes that actually can help Mm. you get publicity for your cause and all sorts of other things. Um, But yeah, it's now just such a sweeping set of powers that the police have around this kind of idea of disruption that really anything that's even just like literally getting in the way of, of the free movement of pedestrians on a footpath could be defined as a kind of, you know, public safety hazard that police can break up.
0: Can you tell me what happened with a group of West Connects? Yeah. protesters recently,
1: and so that's another really good example of how when you pass a law to try and stop one thing, then suddenly it stops a whole bunch of other things. So one of the uh, changes in 2016 around the coal seam gas stuff was about uh, changing the rules around trespass um, to give uh, police more powers to move on protesters who are you know trespassing on mining lands, but suddenly um, you know hundreds of kilometers away and a couple a year or so later, there's a group of people protesting a against West Connex. We were talking about West Connex a fortnight ago on Down to Earth and uh, they were having a sit-in on one of the sort of construction sites and effectively what happened is that police built a temporary fence around their protest and then arrested them for trespass on enclosed land. So they kind of effectively set up a little mobile enclosed land area mm. and then um, arrested the people who were inside it for trespass which wow. yeah, it's kind of bonkers, right? So um, it was Wendy Bacon over at UTS, and a, and a few other people caught up in that particular um, episode. And so there again, we just sort of see how you know one thing that you might think, oh well, it's fair enough. They're going to stop the coal seam gas stuff. Suddenly, you know, it gets used to, um, to prevent another kind of protest that we would have normally accepted as okay. Um, All this and even another before. Time and place
0: even before the new stuff yeah.
1: that's and the, come into effect over so last week. The new stuff that we mentioned right at the start, exactly this Crown Lands Regulation. Um, so about half the land in New South Wales is Crown Land. So parks, squares, roads, beaches, all sorts of things that are Crown Land. And effectively now, this regulation gives not just police, but quote-unquote public authorities, the right to disperse or break up any public gatherings on Crown Land and also to prohibit certain activities like the distribution of leaflets. So it's just hugely sweeping powers that won't be activated all the time, but are just there. You know what I mean? So suddenly now, if an authority is dealing with a protest that they don't like, um, I imagine some of them will be looking to this regulation and going, Oh hang on, we can issue can we a use this? dispersal direction right here and we can get the police to enforce it. So away we go.
0: Look, just on... A positive because this yep. is all a little bit daunting. Um, we, we mentioned the Save Waterloo Public Library protest a few weeks mm-hmm. back. They had a really interesting little protest in which they activated the space and just organised a whole bunch of people to go to the library and yep. use the facilities for a day yeah. so that it seemed really busy oh, to show exactly. that there was still interest That's right. And
1: so I think this is the thing that, you know, as you say, I, I think it's really important that we highlight the kind of restrictions that we're seeing. But like, as you say, I think the thing that we know also is that citizens are always clever enough to figure out ways around this stuff and to figure out novel forms of like taking political action that don't, you know, get caught up in these particular things because they're unexpected and they're unanticipated. So there's this constant sort of almost like cat and mouse that goes on between authorities and citizens about like what's possible and just people, you know, testing the limits of what's doable uh, as a way of making their point. And you're right that there are all sorts of examples where people um, do those kinds of things um, that are kind of either, you know, within the existing laws, but like make their point really powerfully. Mm. Or like what Brad Garrett was talking about with us, you know, weeks ago on those privately owned public spaces where in London they just organized protests on the privately owned public space and kind of dared the authorities to break them up, really. And sometimes, and you know... And did they? No. Um, they were just sort of... They tried initially, but there were enough people there and there were enough TV cameras and everything that it was just kind of like, oh, almost the political embarrassment of breaking this up would be worse for us than just letting them do their thing for two hours and and hoping they go away. So
0: so your message is don't give up on no, the protest front? no. I
1: think... Well, this is the thing. On the one hand, I think it's really important that those of us that can ever imagine getting involved in a protest activity um, on an issue that we care about passionately. Actually, try and stay informed as best we can about these laws um, and how they're changing and try and push back against them. And and sometimes that's about using the political process. So like the process, I should say. So, you know, David Tubridge in the Greens has been really hammering away on these issues Uh, and I know the Labour Party in Victoria and other places have actually been convinced to sort of wind back some of the more punitive protest restrictions that have come in before them. Uh, The Council for Civil Liberties in New South Wales are really active on this stuff and their website has all sorts of great resources for Mm -hmm. people that want to try and take action.
0: Well we might put a link up on the program page for that.
1: Yeah and so like get onto that. Operating on that level is one thing but then you know there's a Political theory dude, Jacques Ranciere, whose work I read a bit and really like, and his thing about politics is that often it involves us acting as though we have rights that we don't actually have. That all the time, whether it's Rosa Parks, you know, sitting on a seat in the bus that she's not meant to sit in in the civil rights movement uh, in the States in the 60s, or whether it's feminists here in New South Wales in the 70s chaining themselves, you know, to the front bar of a pub, like whatever it is, people just like acting as though they have a right that... The law says that they don't. Uh, So sometimes, um, you know, go for it. Go for it like that. Um, They don't do it unaware of the consequences. Like there are going to be consequences for people taking that action. So I'm not just going to sit here and say it's easy to do and it's what we should all be doing and blah, 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 because it is, you know, hectic to do that. But um, I think, you know, we can safely say that so much of the stuff that we now take for granted in terms of political rights and freedoms happened because people before us have done that. So sometimes we need to be prepared to do it too.
0: Kurt, thank you so much. This has been a great down to earth and it will be up online in no time. So you can have a listen back. We did get an SMS in um, regarding freedom of speech on the internet because we've had such a long chat today. That may be a, a conversation for the future. For another time. But yeah, because at the online same time, protest.
1: exactly all the stuff about what's going on online, the stuff about like donations and non-government organizations and whether they can have political views. Yeah, there's all sorts of stuff happening in the virtual space as well that uh, I'm sure we should be talking about another time.
0: Well, Kurt, thank you. A uh, fortnight or so. Yeah. You're back on again. Uh-huh. All right. <laughs> in the meantime, fbiradio.com slash down to earth is where you'll find all the others. Cheers, Kurt. Thanks heaps, Alex. This podcast is produced by FBI Radio in Sydney. Find more at fbiradio.com slash podcasts.